This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The Colorado Avalanche get their season going tomorrow. Highly anticipated regular season for the Avalanche. They will play uh, the first three games on the road. They'll start in L.A. against the Kings. Joining us to talk about it from Altitude Television is their Southern reporter, Katie Goss. Follow her on Twitter, by the way, at Katie underscore Goss, G-A-U-S. Uh, Katie, thanks thanks for joining us. Uh, and my first question to you is this. With the Avalanche knowing in the early going that Gabriel Landeskog would be placed on long-term injured reserve, freeing up some of the money for them to pursue players, did you, do you believe they made enough moves to replace Landeskog with the moving pieces that they did to center around their core to make another run at the Cup? Hey, guys, yeah, thank you so much for having me um, to make it short and sweet for that one, and I'll elaborate, but yes, absolutely. I think that this is kind of like round two of the acceptance of not having Landeskog. We saw it a little bit last season, and I felt that at that trade deadline, there weren't enough moves made, and they were sort of maybe half hoping we were going to see the return of Gabe. It didn't happen. I feel that maybe they learned their lesson. They know they needed to really shore up this offense, especially in that middle six area and their net front presence and their physicality. And I think they successfully went out and addressed that in in numerous ways, not just from a sole, okay, we're going to physically replace him with a 2C and Ryan Johansson, but in some of the other elements of, okay, who's going to be that net front guy, that guy on the power play, the guy who's willing to be physical, delay the big hits, potentially even, you know, getting a scrum scrum or two. And they did that with not just Johansson, but they did it with a guy like Miles Wood bringing in that physicality. They did it with Colton bringing in more energy. They, They seem to have addressed the absence of what Gabe not being there on the ice has with multiple guys. And then, of course, we know he is still around. There's still that leadership. But the guys they brought in, they're also veterans. So they bring in that leadership, that character, that culture, that I think maybe was something else that was really, you know, maybe not lacking, but could use a little bit of a boost. And I think they did that in numerous ways. And I'm really, really excited about the depth that I feel this team has heading into this season as opposed to what it didn't really feel like it had last year. In recent years, acquisitions such as Nazem Kadri, Andre Burakovsky, have had career years here in Denver playing for Jared Bednar. You've watched this team some in the preseason, not that there is a whole lot to be gleaned from uh, watching hockey's very brief preseason, but Do you have any guess as to which of the newest acquisitions might be most likely to break through with something resembling a career year now playing, generally speaking, for teams that are stronger than the ones that they played on previously? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the most obvious potential answer for this, and will again, remains to be seen, but Jonathan Druin, there's so much to to be seen from him. There's so much that's been maybe, you know, sitting on the shelf that just hasn't developed the way that anyone thought. I mean, this is a first-round top 
three draft picks. So, I mean, it, it's an easy answer to say that, you know, he has underperformed in his career and it would be really awesome and, and, and kind of I, I'm expecting to see that that emergence from him, that, 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 that career year like you use, but he's getting an opportunity better than he's had anywhere else. So it makes a lot of sense that there's a huge chance for him to take that next step. If he can deliver playing on a top line with Nathan McKinnon, he's already gotten looks all preseason long on that top power play unit, which if you guys have looked at it, it's, it's absolutely scary how good it looks on paper. And we've already seen glimpses of the success they've had just in the preseason. But I would put that up against just about any top power play unit in the NHL with the with the personnel and the options that they have. So Jonathan Druen definitely is one. He also has everything to prove. There's some pressure on him, and he's aware of it. He's addressed it throughout camp. He knows that this is not maybe his last chance, but it sort of feels that way. He's on league minimum. He's got a one-year prove-yourself deal, and he's got every chance to make it happen, and he's got every opportunity to really be successful with the, the way that he's being placed in this lineup so far. The other one, I don't know career year-wise, but another guy who just definitely has something to prove, who really wants to, to revitalize himself, who ultimately also really wants to finally win that cup, is Ryan Johansson. And he's got a great opportunity as well on a team that's been better than some of the ones he's been on in the past. He's come into this camp with a very aggressive and hungry attitude. He's working really hard. We've already seen how well he's done meshing with these guys, and he brings in that veteran presence and just really great in front of the net. I've loved him in the bumper position in that net front spot where we used to see Landeskog. He's got the bigger body, so that's exciting as well. So those are just two guys who, in my opinion, have a lot of potential to have a career year, a big year, but, you know, Ross Colton is another one you could easily say because he's gotten less opportunity being on a stacked Tampa team. Now he comes in here, huge opportunity for him to take on an even bigger role, and that leads to great success and great numbers. So there's a lot to be excited about in terms of guys who have all the potential in the world, and I'm expecting to see them live up to it. Late moves for the Avalanches to get the roster set today as they leave for L.A. Uh, Pavel Frantzos placed on the LTIR with the groin injury, unfortunate news there uh they yeah. go ahead and make a, a move to acquire uh, a goaltender off of the uh, arizona coyotes they grabbed him on monday ivan prospetov has been, been been added there uh he'll be competing apparently with eustace Annanen, of course with the abs top prospect in net all three of them listed on the roster as they go along and then the the move there to put uh Francois on the the LTIR also allows them to bring Riley Tuft back, who's never quite uh, gone as things hoped when he was a 2016 first round pick, but a big six foot guy scored 19 goals in the AHL. And then they make a trade for a uh, Caleb Burke. Uh, pardon me. They trade Callahan, Cal Burke, Callahan Burke, and they go ahead and then they add another defenseman in Caleb Jones, a Seth Jones, mm-hmm. younger brother. All these moves happen in the last 36 hours. Roughly it happens pretty quick. And late, what do you make of those moves? You know, I don't think any of those those players are set for significant minutes. But the Avalanche sort of uh, finding spots for specific players. What are they trying yeah. to hold? Are they trying to fill particular things, or is this purely an adjustment because of the injury to Francois and the nature of what that does to goaltending? 
Yeah, so Coach addressed it a little bit actually today after they skated before they head out to L.A. and talked about how the flexibility of having more cap because of putting Francois on the LTIR is allowing them to carry more guys. And he specifically said they really like to have a few more guys around, especially for practice. So adding Jones, if they do want to carry him as a potential 7C, um, they also have Tufty called up. I really like the Tufty opportunity. I was so glad to see that he cleared waivers because he's one guy that when you think about, okay, training camp, who's going to be the surprise? Who's going to be the guy that just really turns heads and earns their spot? That was Tufty. He really performed well. He was in a tough position because they only really needed that one spot for the center position on that fourth line. He did not succeed as much in the center role. He's much more of a natural winger. But he did so well at camp, you know, you just felt like this this guy deserves to get a taste, to get a reward here. So seeing him called up, seeing him on that official first roster, it's exciting. He's going to have that opportunity, maybe playing some low-level minutes, traveling with the team, being that, that extra forward. But Coach talked a lot about how last year they were, you know, because of injuries, constantly forced to be, calling guys up and down and putting more stress and more minutes on their big stars. So by having these extra players around because of the cap room, they have the extra salary space, they are kind of eliminating that. They're being able to take off the pressure from those top guys. They can make little adjustments from game to game. Um, and I'm really excited to see that. I think from Tuffy's perspective, Coach talked a lot about wanting to be able to add that size. Now we've got him and McDermott both sitting on the wings, you know, waiting for that opportunity. So certainly a nice nice option there from a forward perspective. Um, and then goaltending, Coach was pretty honest. He said, we've got the three guys. Um, we don't really have a decision made in terms of who the number two will be. Of course, we know Georgiev is going to carry the load for the majority of this. And Ananen is a guy you, you maybe want to see down in the AHL because you want him getting more minutes. Picking up Prozvetsov off of waivers, also, if they did put him down, leaves him vulnerable to get picked back up. So it feels like the goaltending situation is pretty set with Georgiev and our new, our new friend from Arizona. But regardless, Coach just seemed very encouraged by the fact that, well, obviously you don't want to have to have Frankie on the LTIR. This really does allow them to have more options, more depth, more flexibility, barring, you know, whatever adjustments they need to make throughout the beginnings of the season. Naturally, the lingering memories of last year set around the first-round playoff loss to Seattle in seven games, and especially the seventh game, which was uh, highly frustrating to watch uh, from an avalanche point of view, a 2-1 loss. Um, You had the feeling that the avalanche were – a little fatigued going into the playoffs. But the fact of the matter is that they did finish in first place in their division coming from fairly far back. And they did finish 31, seven and four over the final 42 games. And those 42 games were played in many instances without McCarr, certainly without Landeskog right throughout uh, some key guys like Byram and, and Manson uh, who are being counted on uh, this year. I guess my question to you would be, uh, are they healthy enough to play maybe not in quite the manner they did in the last 42 games, but a lot closer to 31-7-4 and four 
than 2017 and three, which is how they started last year. Uh, and how healthy are they as we speak going into this season? Uh, or are there still some holdover concerns with respect to injury? For sure. So coming into today, we got to see Andrew Cogliano out of the red jersey, which is encouraging. He's right. feeling really good. He's really close. And he even said, compared to some of the injuries that he's had to work through and deal with in his past, in his career, this one hasn't been that bad, I guess. He said the recovery, essentially, was you know really successful. It went really well. So that makes you feel even more encouraged that not only is he, okay, yeah, he's back on opening night, but no, he's actually feeling very good. Josh Manson, same thing. He definitely struggled a little bit throughout some of the course of the summer. There were moments right. without throughout his injury where he definitely maybe didn't progress to the point where they wanted, but he has looked fantastic throughout the start of camp. He's energized. He's ready to go. Kill McCarr, as we know, is, is back and is ready. They were being overly cautious, and rightfully so, not rushing him as, as you wouldn't with any superstar during your preseason. But in general, you can just see that the group has so much more energy. They are rested. Nobody wants to have a first-round exit, but unfortunately, with the way the season went last year, it was going to be an almost impossible hill that they had to climb. And there was a sense of relief, in a way, at the end of that season, knowing they still had such an unbelievable group. They were going to get the rest and the time that they needed. And I anticipate the start of this season being much more successful. Of course, no one can predict the future, but these guys, they look healthy, they look energized, they look rested and ready to avoid some of those unavoidable injuries that you face when you are coming off a short offseason and a Stanley Cup run. This doesn't feel anything like that. This group is ready to go, and I'm really encouraged that you know they've been, been able to push. But Coach also said today, you know, this, has a, this group has a lot more veterans than, than some teams. You don't need to push these guys. It's important to find the balance and give them the time away. They know how to take care of their bodies. They know how to be ready when they need to be ready. So we're not out here killing them every single day because these guys, that's not what they need. They need to be able to take that time away, show up, be ready to work, and we saw that today. And yesterday's practice in particular, they went really hard. They're going to be ready to go. It's going to be a much different start to the season than last year. We'll get a chance to see them tomorrow night as the Kings host the Avalanche for the season opener. And, of course, you can catch Katie on the broadcast on Altitude with regularity. So make sure you give her a follow at Katie underscore Goss. That's G-A-U-S. And we hope to have an opportunity to break all this down with you as the uh, much-anticipated season goes along. Appreciate all the insight, Katie. Thank you. Absolutely. This group is looking good. I can't wait to see them hit the ice. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks so much, Katie. It, it is uh, this this season really does bring a lot of anticipation because it feels like had the abs been healthier, they could have repeated as champs. It feels like with a few breaks the other way or maybe some better decision-making by Valerian Nachushkin, they're at least a round or maybe two rounds further than yeah. they could be. Yeah. But the Western Conference has some tough cookies in it. For the Avs looking forward, especially now that we look at some of the goaltending changes, how right. do we break down this right. season? Where are the potential pitfalls? We'll look at it all next on My Life Sports.
Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. Well, you're the big voice. I mean, why bet with the big boys this season? Instead, try your hand with the local book. That's Superbook this fall. Superbook is the book next door. Just a dedicated team of the best odds makers in Las Vegas, making sure that you get the best prices and parlays anywhere. And now Superbook will give you a bonus of up to $250 when you sign up and wager on the same day using the promo code MILEHIGH. So bet with the best and use promo code MILEHIGH this season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Over at Superbook, Sandy, the Colorado Avalanche are third. They are, well, really tied for second, really. I mean, it is the Edmonton Oilers and then the Carolina Hurricanes and then the Colorado Avalanche, who are plus 800. The Avs and Hurricanes are to win the whole thing. And the Oilers are plus 700, not a whole bunch ahead of them. And then you have uh, Vegas and a bunch of other teams behind them. But most of those teams are out west, and that is one of the challenges for the Avalanche if they want to get back to the Cup. Yes and and, and no. I, I It depends on how how deep you want to go, and it's very tightly bunched. I, I mean, we were talking earlier about the Broncos defensively being so far back of the rest of the league that the difference between Denver in terms of uh, defensive efficiency play overall uh, is as great with respect to the team just ahead of them as it is between that team, the Chicago Bears, and the 20th-ranked defensive team. In the NHL, you, you can take, I think, as many as, as maybe a dozen teams, certainly at least 10, and say, all right, I can concoct a scenario by which they could win the Stanley Cup. They'd need the requisite good fortune with respect right. to injuries. Uh, goaltender would have to be hot in the playoffs. All the stuff we talk about with respect to the National Hockey League. But you can throw a blanket to me over Las Vegas, the Avs, Carolina, Edmonton, New Jersey, Toronto, Dallas, Florida made the final last right. year. Uh, the Rangers, Boston. Now, Boston's lost a lot. Boston won't be setting any records for regular season wins as uh, the Bruins did last year. But it, it, Tampa Bay, you can throw in there. Uh, it, maybe even the Kings. I I think it's going to be a fascinating NHL regular season to see how uh, the seedings come out. But even there, we see in the Stanley Cup playoffs, we certainly saw it with the Avalanche last year, Home ice isn't decisive. Being fresh, uh, being hungry, uh, Seattle couldn't match up with the Avs on paper, but through four lines and three defense pairings, they were deeper than the Avs were, definitely fresher, and the Avs had to put out so much to win the division, which has its advantages, obviously. Mm -hmm. They had to put out so much in the final 42 games that they had nothing left for the playoffs. And I think one of the keys this year is being healthier, yes, than they were last year during the regular season, but also being fresh and healthy going into the playoffs. You've still got 
I think, as good a core as there is and as deep a core as there is in the NHL. McCarr, McKinnon, Rantanen, Taves, Lekkinen. Uh, Nishushkin's got to probably prove himself a bit And I put again. in that core, I put Georgiev. Uh, well, sure. But Byram, I'm, I, I guess I'm talking about skaters more. Sure. I, I, Georgiev during the regular season was a top five National Hockey League goaltender. Um, I, I don't think you could credibly argue that he was the best. But you could certainly argue that he was second, third, fourth, or fifth. Sure. Top five's uh, right. You know, top five. Um, but uh, among the skaters, Nishushin's got to prove himself maybe to an extent all over again after the yeah. disappearing act during the playoffs last year. I think he does. And then you have Byram who's got to stay healthy. During the regular oh. season and play a lot more than he's played. The tighter this is, it's the, the health, more health matters. few years. And, and really throughout his NHL mm-hmm. career, he has never been a healthy regular season player. Uh, very good in the playoffs and the run to the Stanley Cup. They don't win the Cup without him in 22. Uh, Gerard has generally been healthy apart from the Stanley Cup playoff injury in 22. He's generally been durable. Uh, I liked uh, the second half of his season last year a lot more than I liked the first half. Um, you know, it, it, they're going to be a factor. And the integration of the new players, uh, I I trust in Bednar's coaching ability to do that as the uh, uh, third coach in terms of seniority right. in all of the NHL. Uh, going into this season, and uh, uh, the two guys ahead of him have won Stanley Cups, and obviously Bednar's got mm-hmm. one to his name as well. The the concern I have, obviously, at any point when you have this many this much turnover, and we'll just run you over a little bit just to refresh your memory. Some of the names of the guys that have uh, that are gone: uh, J.T. Comfer, Eric Johnson, Alex Newhook, uh, Evan Rodriguez, Darren Helm. Those those are all gone, and. The additions, the primary additions being, you know, uh, uh, Colton and Wood and Johansson and and, and Drewan, and then of and course Tatar, uh, Tatar, a very good addition, likely to be a third third uh, line guy. Exactly. So yeah, you, I I, th- I think what they've done now, they got caught flat footed last year, and I think to a certain extent, as much as as much as it feels weird to say this, I'm not going to say they underachieved last last year, but I'm not going to say they overachieved either even though they lost in the first round, because they got flat-footed with Landeskog's injury, which cost them about $8 million on the cap that they couldn't spend. And it was essentially just a lost And that's why couldn't add at the deadline. Couldn't add at the deadline. And they were still holding out some hope that he'd come back for the playoffs. But they, they've made that decision this, time they've realized, this year no. that he's not going to play during the Francis. regular season. No. And he's almost certainly not going to play in the playoffs. A chance. And Francis is a write-off, too. So... You, you do have some money. And that matters. Uh, especially with respect to landing. That means you're you landing some, some of these guys. You oh, could get a Colton. Right. You could make that that's trade. Right. You could get a Tatar. And yeah. you, you can bring in that's a right. Johansson. Now, all of a sudden, you're bringing in. And it, yeah. it, hockey can be rather granular when you're, cre- when you're creating your roster. In so much as you can say, look, we need a guy that's, that can facilitate. I need a right-handed stick that can facilitate. I, I need a, a left-handed shot. From this, from this wing, and if you have the stars, 
who are your primary points generators, you can succeed if you have the right mix. And I liken it a little bit to folks who watch the Nuggets run. When you have a Nikola Jokic and a Jamal Murray, you can say, okay, you know what? We need a guy who can play really good defense and make sure he's ready for to, to hustle and get the lobs and cut on. Okay, guess what? You land an Aaron Gordon, boom, it works. Better than he's ever been. And the Avs have found guys who then hit their new career highs with this core because yeah, you're looking well, for specific sets of skills right. to surround the stars. And they did that the year before. They were successful at the deadline the year before. Uh, Manson was shaky at first, but, yeah, but was we got to see legs, the playoffs. Sure. Lekkonen was terrific from the beginning and had his best year last year. So you throw Lekkonen in with Kadri and Burakovsky as guys who all had career years. Mm-hmm. Of course, two of the three are gone, but Lekkonen's still here. And he's the ideal forward for a team like this because you can play him on any one of the top three lines and and get more than credible performance. And, yes, I include the first line in that. Sure. Along with McKinnon and Renton. I, I think, though, that the integration of the team will probably take a little bit of time. Uh, the one guy I and maybe less enthused about among the acquisitions is Johansson simply because he didn't have a very good year last year and he also got hurt. And yes, he can win face-offs, and I do like that on a team that doesn't especially when even you get into the special Stanley teams. Cup year, they mm-hmm. don't win they don't win a lot of face-offs. And so that's fine. But this is a team that is still based and at its foundation, presents speed. And I wonder if he can keep up. Um, otherwise, uh, every other guy they acquired is an above-average skater. Uh, Johansson is an average skater, and that might be a generous characterization. But I think the big thing on this team is defense. And I know, well, how can you say that? It was a lack of goal-scoring depth that cost them during the playoffs last year. If it wasn't one of the top three guys, mm-hmm. you know, McCarr, McKinnon, Rant, and scoring, they hardly scored throughout the course of the entire series, and that's what got them beat. But I think they can be as good a defensive team as there is in the league, but they've got to be healthy on defense. And the other thing is, they can't have Georgiev playing 55, 60 regular season That's games. my question Because I now. thought he was a little fatigued in the playoffs. Not that he was bad, but he, he w- was not able to lift them and steal games as I thought he did during that 42-game stretch fairly often. I mean, you go 31-7-4 with all the injuries they had. It wasn't goal scoring. It was defense that made them an elite team over the last half plus one game of last year. And I think they're capable of doing that again, but they've got to be healthy enough to do it. And that mainly means Byram and McCarr have to be healthier in McCarr's case and much healthier in Byram's case. Uh, Byram hasn't been healthy in the last and we're, years, and we're again, even in the preseason, you're seeing guys take runs. That's Byram. the other, and that's thing. another and concern for me. How do you construct me? your lineup on a nightly basis to deter yeah. that kind of uh, 
assault. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, I don't think that's too strong a word. Uh, calculated UFC assault have seen Byron get picked on. You have players. seen McCarr get uh, yep. headhunted. Uh, right. You have seen McKinnon with the knee to knees. People are smart yep. enough generally not to mess with Rantanen, who is a beast, and nobody wants any piece of that. But for McKinnon but and McCarr, you, you've got to have. You've got and I. Oh no, I'm, I'm saying, that, I'm not saying that they're just not taking cheap shots I, at Rantanen, despite his uh, elite ability, because he's hard well, to knock off the. Yeah, yeah he, he's ice. He, he's <laughs> built differently, but what? And I'm not saying you need an enforcer, but I I think you need somebody who can, just by his presence on the roster, deter some of that. Uh, rather over-enthusiastic aggression that is pretty regularly practiced against the avalanche because you're not going to outskate them. It is. And I think where we talked to... you can beat them up. We talked to Katie Goss just a little bit ago from Altitude, and she brought up Riley Tufty. And uh, as I pointed out, Tufty, a former first-round pick, it hasn't quite clicked for him, but he is only 25. He was the 25th overall pick that year. He's 6'6", 230. Yeah. He broke, he broke with the team. As it stands right now, he is likely to be your forward off the bench. It seems that Frederick Olofsson is the guy that's going to be that fourth-line left winger at the moment, but Tufty also plays uh, that position. We'll see how that shakes out. But it does feel that if Olofsson and Tufty are more or less interchangeable, maybe that's the fix. Uh, maybe you have, a, you have a guy in Tufty, a 6'6", 230 out there, and uh, historically not terribly afraid to uh, to mix right. it up from Minis- you know from uh, growing up in Minnesota, and maybe that ends up being your your threat, knowing that you know you can then you're not losing anything if Tufty and Olafson are essentially kind of the same uh, level of skill. That could be it. I also like the addition of of the late addition of Caleb Jones here, which I think it, we will probably replace Curtis McDermott. The, the Avs have tried that with McDermott, and I think. I think the league has figured out that McDermott is definitely not a guy I want to rumble with, but he is such a detriment to the team on the ice that the abs generally don't really play him. That's not going to be an issue with a guy like Caleb Jones, who averaged 19 minutes of ice time last year uh, on the Blackhawks. So you have guys that are your, your extra forward, your extra defenseman who can come in and play, which gives Bednar the opportunity to mix and match a little bit more than we've seen before. But my concern also leads towards that goaltending spot. I, I think that we also got from Katie that uh, Eustace Ananen not quite ready. They'd like him to get the made the big minutes over in the AHL up at uh, you know Fort Collins with the Eagles or Loveland with the Eagles, I should say. And so they added uh, Ivan Prosvetov. Now, Prosvetov, by the way, has played in a grand total of 13 NHL games over yeah. the last couple of years. He isn't much more experienced. He's, no, he's 24 Ananen. years old. He is lanky, lanky. This is a guy that is listed at... Uh, well, roughly my weight, 175 pounds. He's quite a bit taller than me. Uh, I am not six foot five, but he is. So you're talking about a, a long, lanky guy. And the Avs need to find out, I think, in the early going, if he can lighten the load for Georgiev, or they probably need to get the phones ringing on trade sooner rather than later, because I agree with you. I thought Georgiev wore down. Yeah, he he wasn't ineffective. I mean, you lost the seventh game two to one. You you lost close and you won big during that series. He still had a goals against a two point six and a save percentage of over nine ten. Yeah, it it was fine. But 
I think for the playoffs, you want someone who is under 2-5 and probably around 9-20 in terms of save percentage. Yeah, that's going to be a cup. If you're going to yeah. be a cup contender, yeah, I agree. you're going to excel in the playoffs, that's what you need. And the teams that don't make it almost never have goaltenders that hit those marks. Um, and And even in Tampa, last year i i think you saw the difference between the two florida teams and that tampa was in three straight cup finals won two cups in a row before losing to the avalanche and they were worn down and you saw florida a team that was just about as good as tampa in the regular season in a, in a few if not all those years but it failed in the playoffs they were fresher, and they got hot goaltending from a relatively unexpected source, and they got all the way to the final on that until they ran into, frankly, a better team with good enough goaltending that completely stifled them, and they went down, and, as we know, in four straight. The, 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 the drama in the National Hockey League in the later rounds didn't necessarily materialize, but then I guess you think of 22, <laughs> the Avalanche went 16 and four. So how much drama really surrounded the later rounds? Uh, the kind that I think Avs fans were pl- plenty happy with. <laughs> in the end, uh, we'll we'll see if this ends up being the fate. That they, I agree with, with you, Sandy. They're they're in the mix. They're in the handful of teams that that can win the whole thing. You, uh, the Stanley Cup is a different animal. That's, that's the good news. You have to be the healthy. The bad news yeah. is that they're probably eight to ten other teams that are also and a lot of them in their conference and that's obviously a challenge too but that's where they are so we'll find out uh soon enough the game and the season uh, gets going tomorrow we have a chance to look at the denver broncos obviously the broncos uh staring one and five straight in the face and that would mean trades Uh, the idea of making deals for the broncos of trying to find a way to get things done if the current roster isn't good enough do you improve it or do you just punt to use the football parlance and on to 2024 because your playoff hopes already are. We'll talk about it next on My Life Sports. Who knows what's best? I want a girl with shoes that cut and... This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The Denver Broncos will find themselves 1-5 on Friday morning after they lose to the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm not even going to bother wasting your time by saying anything else. We're not breaking down the game? I mean, we can. Sure. Uh, Let's do the quarterback comparison. Chiefs are better. I mean, we could. I mean, we we could go position (laughs) by position. I I don't know that there would be uh, anything resembling uh, a competitive sense you'd get. Going into this Pastor game. Tan might be better than the oh, top corner man. of the Chiefs, maybe, but the defense isn't better. But, uh, but Justin not, Simmons they, might Sutan be better than playing the, against the top right. corner of the Chiefs. He's, yeah. He's playing effectively against Patrick Mahomes. He's he, he's yeah. not even playing against the other wide receivers or Kelsey or yeah, whatever, you know, whatever. Bring out whoever you want. He's Rishi playing, Rice. He's playing against whatever. Patrick Yeah, it's Mahomes, and, and, and he'll hit and, the guy that's open. And Mahomes uh, this year, his stats tell you, he's beating you with his legs and with his intellect 
uh, more than he's beating you with his arms. His uh, uh, overall numbers aren't overwhelming, but he never gets sacked, and he's one of the top five quarterbacks in QBR, which is an efficiency metric that measures a little bit more than passer rating does. Uh, He and Wilson are pretty much neck and neck across the board, except for those two categories. Wilson gets sacked all the time. And Wilson's QBR is well below average, although his passer rating is top five in the yeah, NFL. It, it, so it's it, it's not a game. Look, it, we, we can't dance around it. The Broncos are going to lose, and they may end up losing this game in really ugly fashion. They're just not. They're not good. The team they're playing is the really good. One advantage the Broncos may have this week is that they don't get to practice. So whatever is left of their game won't be left on the practice field because they're okay. just doing walkthroughs. See, look at you I'm, being see, positive. I'm, I'm trying to look at the bright side, but the the only thing, I mean, you can look at these 15 games, honestly, and, uh, you know, I would say almost half of them, uh, you know, 15, there, there have been seven to eight games that look close, but we've had the advantage if you want to call it that, of watching these games. And there hasn't been one game out of the 15 that the Broncos are any danger of winning. And the last time the Broncos beat the Chiefs in Kansas City on a Thursday night came in week two of their championship season in 2015, and they stole that game in the last two minutes. The first 58 minutes of the game, they were completely outplayed, and they stole the game in the final minutes, capped off by a forced fumble, and a, and a return for a touchdown uh, by a running back uh, who later became a Bronco and who's probably over the hill even in Kansas yeah. City on that uh, Thursday night. And uh, that was, I think, Bradley Roby scoring what proved to be the winning touchdown in that game. It, that was a fluke. None of the 15 games in a row that Kansas City has won have been fluke. No. Where you said, it, well... You know, something that happens one time out of 100 produced the Kansas City victory. They've all been well-earned. The scores have been closer because Kansas City and Mahomes sometimes do let up when the score gets one-sided and they get sloppy and they throw some picks and the Broncos get back uh, into what would seem to be close range, but really isn't. Really isn't because when the Chiefs stop butting around, right? They're fine, uh, it, it, and it, it just shows that know, what it, what Frank Clark talked it, about. Frank Clark talked about it the preseason. They just don't take the Broncos seriously, you know, and they haven't for years. They haven't needed to. Clark plays for the Broncos now, and he's saying that. So I mean, it's it it's after that yeah. one and five season's already done. Be extra done, I guess. Extra crispy. I don't know how you do that. After the loss on Thursday, and then the idea will be like, what do you do as you completely pivot to 2024? Well, now, yes, and what what do you do between uh, now and uh, what is the deadline it? Is, is, it, is on is uh, Halloween Day? Today? It's three weeks from today that the the trade deadline hits. So, what do you do over the next three weeks? How much do you do? How badly do you want additional picks? I would say very badly. Uh, they have. I believe seven picks, but they have a hole in the second round. They have no second round pick. 
no. as things stand Correct. right because now. that's that's still the uh the Sean Payton uh pick right so you know enjoy your uh buyer's remorse on a couple of those things uh, but on more than a couple yeah for the Broncos keep in mind you know we talked about the trades earlier there's maybe Justin Simmons might net you a second Pat Sertan will get you a first nobody else will uh, and so it's it's less about it would be less about trading to obtain picks and more about dumping salary, which I guess is a strategy. The problem is dumping salary only helps you if you're going to free agency. Yeah. And if Broncos fans have learned anything well, by now, you don't year. solve your problems through no, free agency. You, you did it once when Peyton Manning became available and joined the Denver Broncos. That is an, a, a situation without precedent. A guy that had not missed a game on, in his career until he missed an entire season and then right. ended up as a free agent. A completely unprecedented, once-in-a-lifetime happenstance in which the Broncos and, and then landed a, a guy. Result, and as a result, you got free agents to come to Denver. Exactly. Never before and never since. Right. Correct. Ha- has that happened? And that's the, the problem for, for fans. Understand Teams that spend in free agency do so because they weren't able to solve their own problems with the draft, and so they're looking to try to fill in holes. Nobody goes to free agency in the NFL except to fill in holes. And again, and I, you can I, do that if you're a championship-caliber team, but to, you can't do it as a rebuilding I team. I don't mean to repeat myself, but again, I, I think the fans understand that more than the media does, and especially the print media that it's so excited about free agency and i i learned years ago chris landry was a regular on our program a longtime nfl scout uh an executive and he said he said it's the number one spending team in free agency never turns out to be any good for years and years it was washington and daniel snyder who would quote unquote win the off season that well the broncos in terms of free agent spending, won the off season, and they're one and four, and they're as bad as they've ever been, maybe worse than they've ever been. Certainly, as an NFL team, uh, I thought last year's team was the worst NFL team the Broncos ever put on the field, and this team is worse. Mm-hmm. This team is worse, and you, you have to go back to those AFL years you mentioned: sixty four, sixty five, sixty seven. Those other, other times These they started one five in twenty twenty three. The American Football League, Denver Broncos. And keep in mind, if they were to lose to the Green Bay Packers after the Chiefs, they're starting one and seven, folks, because they get well, the Chiefs again after that. And I I know the Packers aren't very good. But they're they, better they, than the Jets. Uh, the, well, and they're maybe, better than the Commanders. Maybe they have the same record, that, that two and three, as the Jets and the Commanders have. I, I Listen, the Broncos lose to bad teams almost as often as they lose to good teams, right? Mm-hmm. They've lost to three, at best, mediocre at home. teams. All at teams home. that are two and three at home. Raiders, Commanders, Jets. And Green Bay's two and three right now. So I, I don't think Green Bay's any better or particularly worse than the other three teams. They're just like it. Um, Jordan Love has really, really regressed. And you looked at Matt LaFleur last night, he like he wanted to tear yeah. his headset in two. Uh, just, and, you know, Jordan Love played so badly. He made Jimmy Garoppolo look like a star by 
comparison. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, <laughs> the the Broncos are pretty much buried. They're, because they've lost to the Raiders, they're effectively two games out of third place in a four-team division. Here's an idea, by the way, from uh, Pro Football Focus. Marvin Mims leads the NFL in yards per route run. That's good news. Cooper at Cup yards per target. He's number two at 20.5. Cooper Cup played one game. Now, Cooper Cup is Cooper Cup. I get that. But in his one game, he has more targets than Marvin Mims does all season. So maybe oh, for hard. Sean Payton. Mims has 12 targets in five games. Coming up with a game plan on yeah. short notice. Maybe you could try throwing to Marvin Mims more. Just an idea since you're short of dangerous idea. players. I mean, it's just a concept. It's been a lot of fun working this out with you. Of course, the Avs start tomorrow. Thanks to Katie Goss from Altitude for joining us. Follow her at Katie underscore Goss. That's G-A-U-S. Danny Bailey's the man in the booth that makes absolutely everything work. And I mean everything. We, I don't even know what these buttons do. We will be back tomorrow. Thanks for everyone who's listening, whether it's FM, HD radio, your MileySports.com, or on the free app. The easiest way to get all of it. Big things are coming, including the Avs season on Wednesday. We'll be back in about 22 hours. But for the others, you know, for those 22, why leave? Just keep it right here on MileySports. Right, 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 right.